Hello, and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, Just Jonda, and tonight, episode 43, The Predictably Inevitable Case Against Shia LaBeouf. Now, on Thursday, December 10th, 2020, in the Superior Court of the State of California of the County of Los Angeles, Talia Barnett, and I really hope I'm saying her name right, uh, sweetheart, forgive me if I'm not, uh, Talia Barnett, professionally known as FKA Twigs, filed a complaint for relief against actor and former boyfriend Shia LaBeouf. Now, for those of you who are unaware of these individuals, Shia LaBeouf is the dark-haired actor who has appeared, uh, I know him from the Transformer movies. He's done some other stuff, but when you think about what he really stands out for, especially given the popularity of it, he was in the Transformer movies, which of course officially put him into leading man territories, reasonably good looking. And of course he's in movies that make a gazillion dollars. Talia Barnett, who is known as FKA Twigs. So even though I'm going to refer to her as Talia or Miss Barnett, professionally, she is known as actress, model, singer, rapper, FKA Twigs, and she is from the UK. But of course, as we know, UK artists, some of them tend to be just as popular here. I think in her case, it is probably more so as it relates to um, the modeling, being on the red carpet, some acting, but not so much her music. I've, I've heard a, th a thing here or there, but as I've probably mentioned to you all before, I have relatively young kids, one a teenager, one barely out of their teens. And so it, besides the fact that I have a love of music, I also keep up through them. And both of them are like, yeah, I mean, we know who she is, but it's not necessarily the music thing. They just know who she is because she is, she's an it girl on the scene and was definitely starting to uh, make some inroads in Hollywood attractive. And she has that look. So she has filed a very serious case against actor Shia LaBeouf. Uh, the causes of action, now this is a civil case, the causes of action are sexual battery, battery, assault, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and gross negligence. So this is one of those celebrity situations. You know I love celebrity mess, but this is one that I really sink my teeth into because as you all know, I'm an attorney. So I get to put on my attorney hat, talk to you about celebrity mess. And hopefully you listen to this and you'll leave knowing a little bit more than when you came in. So we're going to take this entire episode is going to be a deep dive into this case. So I'm going to discuss the following just so you know where we're going with this. I'm going to talk about the allegations in the complaint. I have been able to pull the complaint 16 pages long. I'm not going to read it word for word, but as it, just because I want you to um, really uh, to really get 
the seriousness of what is alleged and of course sometimes especially when things are this serious and you start summarizing it, it just messes things up so there are portions of this that i am going to read verbatim and then there are portions i'm going to summarize for you because of course we don't want to be boring here we have fun but we also talk about some serious stuff sometimes as well so as i said we're going to discuss the allegations in the complaint which are going to come from the complaint itself we're going to talk about the standard of proof required and who has to meet it now that you're going to get from me in my experience in these matters and finally we're going to talk about why, in my opinion, I think that this was the proper place for her to bring this cause of action, considering that um, the parties involved are in the entertainment industry and just what that means when allegations are made, especially if those allegations are potentially proven. And I know that there are going to be individuals, especially those who like Shia LaBeouf or even those who just feel like, oh, this may be some kind of money grab or anything like that. You always hear that when people bring civil cases, because the first thing that some people say, well, if she really wanted justice, why not go through the criminal court? So that I'm going to get into that. That's going to be the last part, because I know that that is usually the part that no matter what the circumstances are, it tends to leave a lasting impact uh, in terms of people's discussions about the case. So I hope that in walking through this with me and getting a little chunk of why I think that this is the best venue, both in my opinion as a woman, a person who has seen abuse colloquially just among people in my life, my family, etc., as well as in um, as someone who is well versed in the industry and, and public relations and branding, and then most importantly, as an attorney in terms of what really tends to happen when things go through the criminal justice system, especially when you're dealing with someone who has a certain level of popularity and money and add to that the fact that he is a white male in America. So uh, with, that's going to be the last part of what we're going to get into, but I think an important part because that tends to drive a lot of conversations. So let's get into the complaint. As I said, um, the cause of action that she is specifically, and that's what we call it, the causes of action that are being specifically alleged here that uh, for which she's seeking relief, and relief can come in multiple forms, and we'll get into that, are sexual battery, battery, assault, and intentional infliction of emotional, intentional infliction of emotional distress, I'm sorry, mix my words there, and gross negligence. And um, the first part of the complaint sort of gives a big general, and this, this is pretty much the way that we write them. It gives a general synopsis. And, and hopefully, if you have specific facts, uh, you can allege them as well. 
and or specific allegations. I'm sorry, you can allege those as well. And then we will get into how they specifically re relate to the causes of action, which when I walk you through this, hopefully, um, because I'm going to explain it as I go, it will all make sense to you. And then we'll circle back to those issues that I was talking about in terms of how these it needs to be proven and um, ultimately that other piece we talked about as well. So um, some of this, as I said, I'm going to read verbatim. So I again, we talked about the fact that this woman, Talia Barnett, is professionally known as FKA Twigs. And she is, um, you know, it's said to be internationally successful singer, songwriter, and actor. And remember, this is her representation that is writing this. So uh, some of the language is definitely going to be uh, very damning as it relates to, especially when I read it verbatim, as it relates to Mr. LaBeouf and we'll we'll just take that as we go so um because i'm concerned that i'm saying her name wrong i'm just gonna call her ms barnett and we're gonna uh, call him uh, mr labeouf so ms barnett first met mr labeouf while filming the motion picture honey boy apparently everybody seems to know about this picture except for me and i'll watch any damn thing uh in the early summer of 2018 and both of them had lead roles so she was probably like his love interest. And according to the complaint that when shooting on the picture wrapped about a year later, so sometime in 2019, the two began a romantic relationship. And the crazy thing about all this, especially when I really start breaking down what these allegations are, is these two, in the grand scheme of things, really weren't together for a long time. But Obviously, if you are potentially being abused by someone, then it doesn't have to be a long time, right? So, but I'm I'm just saying, uh, it isn't some, it isn't like ten years or whatever. And and you got to remember, for those of you who are familiar with her, she is relatively young. Um, I'll look up her age when we get towards the end. I don't want to screw around with my screen too much. Okay, so they met then in beginning. In or around uh, October 2018, and this is according to the, the allegations in the complaint, LaBeouf convinced Talia to go live with him at his Los Angeles home. So it sounds like pretty much they began a relationship and then, in the, you know, the next thing you know, they were basically living together. And we know he's older than her and, and all of that. So once she moved in, LaBeouf began regularly exhibiting frequent rage and bouts of jealousy towards Miss Barnett. Again, all of this coming from the complaint. I don't want to have to say allegedly five million times, so we're just going to say a blanket. These are the allegations in the complaint. On a continual basis, he aggressively accused her of dwelling on her former fiance, who was well-known actor Robert Pattinson, and also accused her of rushing him into a relationship. So you let this person who at all times says her residence technically was the UK move in with you and you're older than her, but it's her fault. 
this is how this next paragraph actually I should have read this first this is kind of how this starts so this attorney I gotta say should probably not only he's not only an attorney um maybe he should be a screenwriter too because uh, or or write romance novels because he really um he he i will definitely say it got me interested from the jump so i'm going to read this to you verbatim and i don't mean to giggle because the situation is not funny but it's just interesting the way the way that this attorney wrote it and again this is west coast hollywood i cannot imagine one attorney i know here on the east coast who would start a, uh, put this as the starting paragraph in their case Quote, Shia LaBeouf hurts women. He uses them. He abuses them both physically and mentally. Side note, I would say all of this in an opening or closing argument in trial in court. I just wouldn't write it down. He is dangerous. For too long, LaBeouf has sought to excuse his reprehensible actions as the eccentricities of a free-thinking artist. Even though his history of violent behavior was well documented, many in the media have treated LaBeouf as a harmless figure of fun, which has helped enable him to perpetuate his cycle of abuse of women over the years. There's nothing funny about the exploitation of and, in, and battering of women. This action has been brought not for personal gain, but to set the record straight and to help ensure that no more women must undergo the abuse that Shia LaBeouf has inflicted on his prior romantic partners. The days in which LaBeouf can mistreat and harm women with impunity are over. See what I mean about that paragraph? It's a, it's, it's powerful, but it's, Again, something that I would definitely say in court in front of a jury to really sell it, to really drive it home. I just don't think that is something that I or pretty much anybody I know would put in their complaint that is pretty much just going to be read by the court and, uh, of course, opposing counsel. So this goes on. Her attorneys alleged that pretty much he employed what they call a charm offensive on her, which is a tactic that she now knows he used on other women. He convinced her to move in with him, you know, the, the same person who claims you forced me into relationship. He was engaging in grooming gra and gradually gaining her trust and confidence with the intent of abusing her. And if any of you know anything, uh, another aside, if any of you know anything about the cycle of abuse, battered women syndrome, and any of these cases where you hear about this process, or even people that you may know in your own life, what is being described here is literally a textbook case. I mean, this is in the everything that I just read and, and will continue to read in this uh, next couple of paragraphs is literally um, it, like I said, it's textbook. If someone wanted to look up how do I set about 
uh, putting together a scenario where a woman or man, because we know there are female abusers as well, will trust me, will believe in me, will follow through on everything that needs to happen in order for me to abuse them, to um, isolate them, and to make them believe that they can never leave me. Um, just, just that whole cycle literally everything that I read to you in the last two, in those two sentences would be, you know, section one and section two of your textbook. On with the allegations. What followed was a living nightmare for Ms. Barnett. Over a course of months, LaBeouf engaged in a continuous stream of verbal and mental abuse towards Barnett belittling her and berating her after the slightest perceived insult. On one occasion, and this was around Valentine's Day of 2019, he is accused of forcibly slamming her against her car or against his car and strangling her after she tried to get away from one of his tirades. In fact, Alleged, now allegedly, in fact, he even admitted to another woman whom he was cheating on her with at the time that he dragged her out of the car by her collar. And we're going to get, we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, Valentine's 2019 incident because there were several elements of that, uh, there were several elements to that incident. Finally, and most dreadfully, uh, Mr. LaBeouf knowingly transmitted a serious illness to Talia. Now, this is going to come up again and again, and in my opinion, is one of the strongest pieces. Not that the abuse uh, allegations aren't strong, too, especially taken in totality with his um, past prior actions, if the court uh, allows those in, because of course his attorney is going to allege that allowing a, a, the court or a jury to hear and consider those past allegations and actually a few convictions are going to be unduly prejudicial. And you're gonna hear about those in a moment and understand why they are going to make that objection as they should, but you know, we'll talk about what the fallout from that would be if the judge overrules that objection versus if the judge allows sustains that objection and doesn't allow that information in. So anyway, um, back to the complaint, the serious illness, which I probably don't even have to tell you, was a sexually transmitted disease and it appears that given the nature and we could probably i'm not going to uh just say what i think it is because the complaint doesn't say it but if you know anything about sexually transmitted diseases then you could probably figure out what this one is especially given some of the facts that we're going to get into in terms of alleged flare-ups and having it over time because ding 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 that means it's something that stays with you as opposed to being curable so 
keep that in mind. It's, it is going to come up again, but definitely keep that in mind when we get towards uh, the latter part of this complaint and start talking about um, the actual um, the actual causes of action like assault and, and intentional infliction and all of that. So allegedly she has since learned, she as in Barnett, has since learned that LaBeouf has infected other unsuspecting women with his disease. Simply put, LaBeouf's reckless disregard for the health and safety of his partners makes him a danger to women everywhere. So again, you're picking up the fact that this isn't something that you just take a shot or some uh, antibiotics for and get rid of. So we know there are a few things that fall into that category and certainly one big one that uh, comes to mind when you talk about flare-ups. So together with Carolyn Foe, another alleged survivor of LaBeouf's, uh, of LaBeouf's abuse, Barnett sought to avoid this action. So this is definitely important for those naysayers that say why civil court versus criminal court. Allegedly, she and Foe, who is a former girlfriend, uh, reached out to them and asked them to voluntarily seek mental health and substance abuse treatment, uh, donate some money to... Um, a domestic violence shelter, just show on some level that he gave a shit about what he did to them um, and what he could potentially do to others. And according to the complaint, his attorney not only was like, get the hell out of our face with this. He's not under no illegal obligation to do anything you ask him to do, which he is not. And it's not like at that at this at that point or this point they are together. So it's like not only is he not legally obligated, but why am I going to do some crap I don't even want to do for somebody I'm not even with? So allegedly, LaBeouf's attorney cruelly dismissed the sexually transmitted disease issue and um, called it. Basically, said it's not that bad. Again, who knows, but pretty, it, it's, it's pretty sad. So we're going to move on. According to Barnett, LaBeouf suffered recurring periods of delusions where he armed himself with firearms on the belief that gang members were going to break down his door at any minute. And I do vaguely recall hearing something about him and some gang members, like maybe he had posted something on social media, like there was, there was a whole thing with him. That much I do vaguely recall. And that he went so far as to sleep with the guns. Talia would be trapped in their shared bed for hours at a time without the ability to even get up to go to the bathroom for fear that she would be shot by him should he wake suddenly when she's moving around, which is pretty scary. Allegedly, he even made the boast to her uh, that in order to get into character for his role in The Tax Collector, which is a movie I guess he was recently working on, he would drive around neighborhoods in Los Angeles and shoot stray dogs. 
He claimed that he killed these dogs because he wanted to know what it felt like to take a life so that he could get into the mindset of a killer, like his role in the movie. So I'm going to have you sit with that just for a second while we take a quick break. And now we're going, and after the break, we're going to get deeper into some of these allegations, particularly the Valentine's holiday allegations. Okay, I am back, and if you are just joining in, this is Just Jonda, and the show is Let's Be Honest. Today, we are digging deep into the Shia LaBeouf case. So, as I said right before the break, we are going to get into the Valentine's allegations. Well, all of this gets a little bit deeper into the specifics of these allegations. So on Valentine's Day, which in 2019, LaBeouf drove, uh, drove Barnett to a hotel spa for a romantic evening. Now, all of this I'm going to give you directly from the complaint. So quote, however, instead of romance, Talia was subjected to a torrent of physical abuse from LaBeouf. As she had gone to, after she had gone to bed, Talia awoke to LaBeouf towering over her and violently squeezing her body and arms against her will. LaBeouf then grasped his hands around Talia's neck and began strangling her while whispering, if you don't stop, you are going to lose me. Talia was so terrified, she could not move and lay there frozen while LaBeouf continued to harm her. The following morning, outside of their hotel, LaBeouf threw Talia to the ground, and as they drove back to LaBeouf's house, LaBeouf drove maniacally, maniacally removing his seatbelt and threatening to crash the car unless Talia professed her eternal love for him. Talia was horrified by LaBeouf's actions and feared for her life. LaBeouf eventually stopped at a gas station and Talia desperately attempted to escape from him. However, after Talia tried to remove herself and her belongings from the car, LaBeouf violently attacked Talia. While in the gas station parking lot, he threw Talia against the car and attempted to strangle her violently while screaming in her face. LaBeouf then forced Talia back into his car. Later, when confronted about this incident by his female friend on September 29, 2019, LaBeouf did not deny that he used violence on Talia. Indeed, LaBeouf admitted, admitted it in a text message that, quote, I do not remember removing her from the car in the desert. LaBeouf stated that he removed Talia, quote, by her arms, unquote. In response, LaBeouf's friend confronted him with a text message stating, Shia, you did actually admit to me the incident when you had her, when you had her, Talia is in quotes. 
um, the, when you had her by the collar and you were pushing her against the car while she sobbed and while three male witnesses did nothing at the gas station was true, unquote. Shortly after the Valentine's Day incident on February 25th, 2019, Talia reached out for help by texting a close friend and writing, quote, is difficult to say, but I'm sure you know, I've been in an abusive relationship that has isolated me. It's worse than you can imagine, unquote. Talia also sought the help of a professional therapist writing to him on February 24th. I have just left an emotionally, physically, and sexually abusive relationship. I have one day out and very confused and overwhelmed. I'm writing this email because I am hoping that by seeking professional help, I can stay out of it and carry on with my life, unquote. Talia has continued to seek counseling and psychotherapy from this therapist as she continues to suffer ongoing mental trauma and distress from LaBeouf's relentless abuse. So that's directly from the complaint. Now, it does go into the whole escape cycle. And again, for those of you who are familiar with the cycle of abuse, because again, whether you believe it or not, this stuff is textbook. So if somebody's lying, they are really, really good at it. So, and, and if you know about it, you also know that the most dangerous time for someone who is being abused is when they attempt to leave. That is usually when not that there are not sadly many other ways and reasons um, that lead to someone being abused dying that is definitely way high on the list when you can pretty much guarantee that if that person the abuser gets a hold of them then death is pretty high on the list of items on the menu in terms of what they are in store for. At the very least, if they don't end up dead, it is probably among some of the their worst episodes of abuse um, compared to however many episodes they've already had with the abuser. So it takes a lot of uh it takes a lot of courage when mind control plays in a role in this but it also is very dangerous and if someone is reasonably educated about abuse even if they are the ones who, one who is being abused abused they probably know so in and around March 2019, Barnett did attempt, and this is again coming from the um, uh, from the complaint, she did attempt to escape from LaBeouf's ab abuse. One day she began packing her bags and belongings intending to leave Los Angeles and LaBeouf because remember, she is technically from the UK and even when talking about the jurisdiction of the case and they asked her to list where she lives, 
she listed as being in the UK, but he lived here and she lived here with him. So the allegations um, are all based on actions that took place in Los Angeles or in, in and around that area. So at any rate, she was packing her belongings and LaBeouf showed up unannounced to a home she was renting and staying at that time. And apparently this entire incident was witnessed by Talia's housekeeper at that apartment who was helping her. And in her own words, the housekeeper has provided sworn testimony. So I'm going to read you uh, the housekeeper's sworn testimony. LaBeouf yelled at Talia that she had to come with him. Talia hesitated and remained where she was in the room. When Talia refused to go with LaBeouf, LaBeouf appeared to grow angrier, angrier and moved towards Talia. LaBeouf then violently grabbed Talia and lifted her off the ground. Talia's housekeeper further relates that after LaBeouf had lifted Talia into the air, he forcibly carried her into a separate room. I then heard the door to his room lock, to this room locked from the inside. I tried the door and confirmed that it was locked. LaBeouf continued to scream at Talia. He yelled so loudly that I could hear him from outside the room. I waited outside the room while this occurred. LaBeouf kept yelling at Talia for a considerable amount of time. Eventually, I observed LaBeouf open the door and exit the room where he had been keeping Talia as he left in, as, where he had been keeping Talia. As he left the room, LaBeouf first appeared to notice me watching him. He stared at me but did not say anything. Finally, Talia's housekeeper has testified that I quickly went to Talia's side. I quickly went to Talia's side to see how she was doing. I observed that Talia was in a very traumatized state. She appeared to have been crying and her voice was very weak. I asked Talia if LaBeouf had taken her into that room and kept her there against her will. Talia confirmed that LaBeouf had indeed done so. Unfortunately, according to the housekeeper, LaBeouf soon returned, dashing Talia's plans to escape from him. Still, that was not the only time she attempted to leave. And, and of course, ultimately, their relationship broke up. Now, this next section may be a little triggering because it does deal with some medical issues and, and sexually transmitted diseases. So as if the other stuff wasn't bad enough. So right around that same time, because remember, these two were not the, the crazy thing with all of this and, and so much of this occurring, um, it, it just in the largesse of this, is that these two were not together for years and years. All of this that we're talking about took place within the span of uh, barely over a year. So... Beginning in around March 2019, Talia began to experience unusual and painful physical symptoms. 
Shortly thereafter, she confronted him about her symptoms and he admitted that he suffered from a sexually transmitted disease, which he had been diagnosed with years, with an S, years earlier. He allegedly admitted that he never told her about the condition before, even though they had been sexually intimate for months. And remember, these two are living together. So the assumption is that there was probably some trust at least that she may have placed in him and then who knows what his level of insistence may have been as it relates to birth control or the types of birth control and let's face it especially uh if i'm talking to some women out there we know how men can be about condoms and once you are locked down in a so-called committed relationship among other things that's one of the first ones they want to get rid of they want to get rid of any exes you have and any trace of them and uh yeah the hopefully if if you'll permit it condoms so according to this and i think that this was probably a typo on the part of the attorney because otherwise the timeline wouldn't make sense so I am going to fix it based on what I think it is because says further LaBeouf admitted that he had experienced a flare up of his disease's symptoms in December, 2019. I'm going to take license and say that he probably meant December, 2018, because we know that December, 2019 comes after March, 2019. So a conversation in March about a disease wouldn't have made sense if I'm telling you I had a flare-up in December 2019. So obviously he meant December 2018. But at any rate, allegedly he worked to hide his outward symptoms from Talia by applying makeup. Probably would not have been anything out of the ordinary. Maybe for some of us, yes. But again, you have to remember the business that they are in. They are in show business. He is someone who is a working actor and apparently they had just come off of a movie and then he was working on another one. And not to mention the fact that these individuals are photographed all the time, whether they want to be or not. So the idea that even though he's a man, that he would be wearing makeup and being conscious of potentially being photographed with blemishes or zits or anything else wouldn't be unusual and would not, in, in my opinion, it would not be something that would stand out to the mate of, um, to the mate of a man in show business. Because again, they're young, they're attractive, they're out and about, they're photographed all the time. And he's definitely photographed fairly regularly because in addition to all of the other hokey pokey he uh, gets wrapped up in ever so often, he fancies himself a bit political too. So he definitely is one of those who gets uh, photographed more than most probably a little more deliberately than he would like to admit. But anyway, he, so that was the, so that's what he told her. He, um, he hid it by makeup 
again, nothing given that given their business that she would have questioned. Despite experiencing a flare-up of his symptoms, LaBeouf continued to engage with sexual relations with Talia. Um, we're going to assume, and I'm, I'm saying Talia because that's what they're calling her in a complaint. I'm going to assume unprotected in some way, further exposing her to his diseased, to his disease. Uh, shocked and horrified by his revelation, uh, Talia allegedly consulted with her physician who performed blood work and confirmed that she was indeed infected. She also later learned that she was not the first person that he allegedly transmitted this disease to and that there was another woman that he had been in a relationship with who contracted it from him and he also had engaged in similar attempts to hide his condition from her while engaging in sexual relationship, relations with her. And I'm going to assume, at least for the purposes of this suit, and if it's not her, then I apologize, but I'm going to assume for the purposes of this suit that it must be Ms. Foe because Ms. Foe actually participates in this suit. Although if it is Ms. Foe, then he has had this for more than a couple of years, because as we're about to find out with Carolyn Foe, they dated uh, between 2010 and 2011. And this revelation with uh, Ms. Barnett was in 2019. So maybe there's someone else and they're just not named in the suit. But if it is Ms. Foe, then this dude has been walking around with this for a long time and God only knows how many people were mixed up in his nasty uh, uh, spunk soup between 2011 and 2018 when he got with Barnett. At any rate, um, she alleges further alleges that his treatment of her allowed him to convince her that he was a victim, that he genuinely loved her and wanted to repair their relationship. Nothing new. Uh, if you've heard about these types of relationships, again, just go back to the textbook, another chapter. For the next few months, she engaged in multiple therapy sessions with him in an attempt to salvage their relationship. However, his unpredictable and violent behavior did not change and eventually, after she refused his endless stream of calls and text messages, he unceremoniously ended their relationship with her via text message, and she later learned he was cheating with another woman anyway. Now, um, I would say it, it, for her, the fact that they did therapy sessions at the very least would be good evidence for her in terms of um, it going towards the idea that they had a troubled relationship. Now, again, there's no way that any attorney who isn't complete, who isn't, uh, who isn't committing complete and total malpractice would allow him to agree to uh, waiving his medical privilege to allow those therapy sessions, the, the therapy notes, the session notes to come in because they're both on there. However, 
That being said, sometimes when you are in couples therapy and hopefully, uh, at least from in, in her case, from an evidentiary standpoint, if she did some separate sessions with the counselor, which uh, we know sometimes occurs when a couple is doing couples therapy, you have therapy together as well as separate sessions with the therapist to allow the therapist to explore individual issues that may contribute to um that just may contribute to what you bring to any relationship you in, you are in what is your imprint how and why are you imprinted that way so if that is the case that could still work for her because although the session notes for their joint sessions may not come in, the session notes for her own sessions could come in and those session notes would at least say that during the course of my conversations with her, and of course redacting anything uh, specifically as it relates to him, but during my session, my sessions with her, we discuss blah, 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 blah. And some of that blah, blah, blah has to do with things that she was saying about their relationship at the time. Not a story that, you know, people will say she's making up now, but contemporaneous with the events, my patient came in and told me that last night xyz happened it's not about whether or not it's true it is about her session notes or recordings even better um especially if they're recordings um her session notes or recordings uh of her sessions with uh barnett reflect barnett's conversations about this and if they're recordings you would also get her uh, some sense of how she was telling the story what her um inflections were was she crying it, the, the bottom line is did she sound credible did she even sound credible when she was telling these alleged incidents to her therapist and again, it's not even it's not about whether or not those statements she's making is true per se. It's it really goes to whether or not she's well, some it goes some of it goes to whether or not it's true because it's actually her present sense impressions of what was going on, you know relatively contemporaneous with the event, especially if she just happened to have a therapy session the next day or a couple of hours after a berating session with LaBeouf. So those were, it's not exactly present sense impressions, but it's still uh, pretty close as it relates to, again, the credibility of this person telling these stories then and now, those stories not changing, and you actually see, you actually hearing for yourself, did she have terror in her voice? Um, when it relates to her emotional distress, did she sound effed up? 
did she sound just as effed up as she sounds now? Well, she may have been worse then if it was, you know, fairly contemporaneous with the event. So really interesting. I definitely um, add that to your items uh, to put a pin in uh, for this. So now we get to Carolyn Foe. Now, Carolyn Foe, as I mentioned, dated him uh, from 2010 to 2011, and their relationship was very public. So it is, um, so that's probably part of how uh, I would imagine that uh, Barnett and her people got in touch with Carolyn because obviously if he had a public relationship with somebody, then at least you know who they are, get in touch with them. If they're fine with speaking on the relationship, fine. If they're not, then, oh, well, excuse me. I had to take a little sip of something and just bear with me. I'm uh, talking to you alone for quite some time. So this is from the complaint. Carolyn dated LaBeouf during the years of 2010 to 2011. Theirs was a well-documented and public relationship. Behind that publicity, however, LaBeouf subjected Carolyn to the same kind of abuse, including physical abuse. For instance, in February 2012, what is it with this dude in February? LaBeouf traveled with Carolyn to New York City for Fashion Week. During their flight east, Paid for by Carolyn. I love that they threw that detail in. LaBeouf angrily berated her for wearing expensive sunglasses and repeatedly humiliated her. Do you think this is because he's short? I just thought about that. This dude is short. Hmm. Well, I mean, you're an ass because you're an ass, but it doesn't help if you're an ass who's short. Okay, and that's no shade to my short people. I'm only five feet tall, but some of these guys have some height freaking issues. Get over it. You are the height that you are. If you are cool people, people will love you anyway. But I don't know. Maybe it's not that he is short in stature. Maybe there's something else that's running a little short. Hmm. And again, no shade to short guys because I've seen uh, guys of all heights and, you know, certain things come in all shapes and sizes and your height has is no indication. Shoe size and hands maybe, but not, <laughs> but not your height. <laughs> okay, I'm just being, well, I'm being me. So anyway... Uh, he berated her about sunglasses. I don't know. Could you not afford them? Were you broke at the time? Did you not get your paycheck yet? I don't know. And, uh, allegedly repeatedly humiliated her, causing her to burst into tears in front of other passengers on the plane. Once they got to New York, he disappeared the moment they deplaned at JFK. She traveled to their hotel alone, couldn't find him and went to bed. He eventually showed up to the hotel room, extremely drunk, not shocking. Waking Carolyn by banging loudly on the door. She let him into, Carolyn let LaBeouf into their room, mistake, where after babbling incoherently, he promptly passed out on the couch face up. Fearful that he would choke on his own vomit in that position. She is so better than me. See, this is my problem. Just in case some of you are new listeners, I'm petty. If you treat me like shit, 
and then you're in danger of choking on your own vomit, eh, I guess we'll just have to hope for the best. It's not like I killed you or anything. Okay, that's just the way my petty's set up. Sorry. Carolyn helped carry him into a shower. Again, that, I, I am just not built like Carolyn, for sure. You all be like Carolyn. Don't be like me, because... You know, if Carolyn's the gold standard, then I'm mud. Where she sat him upright and turned on the water, LaBeouf continued to sit in this position, mumbling to himself. Believing LaBeouf was no longer in danger, she returned to bed. Later that night, she awoke to LaBeouf on top of her, drunk, naked, wet, and screaming. He held her down by the arms, causing intense pain and leaving multiple bruises. Then He then headbutted her violently, causing her to bleed on the hotel bed. Now, that's where my petty kicks back in because I'm taking pictures of my head and the hotel bed. Likewise, following a party at the Chateau Marmont in early 2011, there is always some bullshit going on at Chateau, at Chateau Marmont. You know, sex, murders, bullshit, Shire LaBeouf. Carolyn kept LaBeouf from driving home because of how drunk he was. They hailed a taxi. On the ride home to Sherman Oaks, LaBeouf, LaBeouf repeatedly berated and verbally assaulted Carolyn in, the front, in front of the driver and repeatedly whispered to Carolyn, you know I'm going to kill you. Carolyn, girl, you in danger. Over the years... Now they get into his history. I think that this was a fantastic section for them to include in the complaint, especially if there's certain if there's the possibility that they may not get it in um, in court. I, I think that a well written uh, motion in limine, which is a motion that the other side would file. In, in this case, it would be the other side to try to keep this from coming up, not to mention objections left and right on prior past acts, past bad acts. I think that this, it, you know, his attorney would be committing malpractice if he didn't at least try not to keep this out. But I also think it would be a reach and a judge would be asking for an appeals court to give them, oh, give him a real, him or her, a real side eye if all of this, maybe not everything gets let in, but it, I would be hard pressed to believe that all of this would be would be kicked. Now, is it uh, prejudicial? Admittedly so. However, if I'm representing her, that's my whole point. Of course I want it. I want it to be president, uh, prejudicial. Of course I want the jury to look at his overall behavior and go, well, he's a dick generally. And the stuff that he is alleged to have done out in the streets involving other people, why wouldn't we believe that he would do it at home? Like, so we're supposed to believe that you carry on like a lunatic and it only happens when you're outside. That seems a little far reaching. 
But again, uh, great arguments for the fact that this would be prejudicial because hell, I know how the game is played and I read it and go, well, duh. So anyway, we have several incidents. I'm just going to breeze through them because a lot of them have been well-documented. Um, and some of these go as far back as 2007. And these are just the ones that are here. Um, he was arrested and jailed for an altercation with his next-door neighbor in Van Nuys. That was in 2007. Doesn't say whether or not he was convicted, so maybe he wasn't. Because if the dude was convicted, I would have that in my complaint. In 2008, he narrowly avoided seriously injuring others when his drunk driving caused him to hit another vehicle, resulting in his arrest. Again, it doesn't say whether or not he was convicted. I just can't believe that if there were convictions, you wouldn't put him here. And and remember, that doesn't mean that he wasn't wrong. He is a star, and this stuff happened in California, where he is somebody. In 2011, he was involved in a bar fight in Sherman Oaks. He was detained by the police. In 2014, he went to the musical cabaret on Broadway. I remember hearing about this. He was so drunk during the performance and caused such a disturbance, he was actually arrested during the intermission. In 2015, he had a drunken disorderly that resulted on his arrest um, on the streets of Texas. And we already know what's going to be said here, right? Well, he has a drinking problem, and that's why he acts like that. And that's why he does the things that he does at home and all of that to the women. Screw that. You don't get a pass on bad behavior especially when it results in hurting other people and the behavior is consistent and systematic in terms of how you do it and the amount of time you spend the different people you put in your web like they're younger than you that kind of stuff uh just because you have a drinking problem in 2015 and again i recall this one because it was widely reported because it was caught on video he was dating a woman named mia goff and they were in germany and again he he went off on her really bad and it was caught on video by somebody walking by and he told her I don't want to touch you. I don't want to be aggressive. This is the kind of shit that makes a person abusive. He allegedly was drunk. He blamed her for pushing him. Then he leaves the scene. He was caught saying, if I'd stayed there, I would have killed her. As recently as September of this year, he was charged by the city attorney of Los Angeles. Again, I recall hearing about this for misdemeanor battery and the theft and theft for allegedly using physical violence to steal a man's hat. So uh, there's just a lot of weird stuff. There's a whole section here, I won't belabor the point, but the bottom line is she had a personal assistant for a while. This personal assistant turned out to be on some bullshit. Um, there is proof that the personal assistant basically stole her identity at one point she was basically using her identity to get certain perks for herself unauthorized charges paying for club memberships and things for herself and just all kinds of stuff but of course before she knew the woman was doing that as her personal assistant she trusted her and of course they had a non-disclosure which we know not i tell people all the time 
NDAs are only as good as your willingness to admit or not admit what the person uh what the person tells about you because if there's an if I have an NDA and you tell some stuff about me then yeah I can sue you but in suing you there's an element of all of that where I am essentially admitting that what you were saying is a violation of the NDA because it's true. This XYZ did happen. And that's why you're violating the NDA because you're telling people about some shit that happened. Well, if you don't want anybody to know that you do whatever these things are that the person is claiming that you do or whatever habits you have then the person whether the person signed an nda or not they kind of have you over a barrel yes they may owe you whatever the payout is and you know whatever cost and fees are involved and court fees and stuff but the embarrassment that you were trying to avoid and all of that yeah Eh. if you're a big enough star and that person gets a big enough payout and are, are smart enough to negotiate a deal with whoever they rat you out to that would cover whatever the money is that the NDA calls for, like let's say you are a big enough star and the stuff is juicy enough that they get a $2 million book deal and the NDA says if they break it, they got to pay you a million then fuck it. I get a $2 million book deal, pay you a million, and I still got my book. And a million dollars. So, you know. Next. So now we're going to get into, the next thing we're going to do is get into the actual, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, before we do that, the reason why I brought up the assistancy, I went down the, <clears throat> excuse me, stop me. I went down the rabbit hole as it relates to the NDA, the reason why I, I talked about the assistant is that there is also an allegation that, of course, the assistant got fired. Of course, the assistant is bitter. And the assistant um, was allegedly enlisted by LaBeouf to basically put out there things about her that would be potentially embarrassing because you're you were her personal assistant and you know and also that um some the pictures because allegedly the assistant is was with her uh immediately following the february 2019 valentine's incident and took pictures for her and that the assistant would be willing to say that those pictures she took were totally staged. And of course, since the assistant is the odd person out and has been accused of theft and all of that stuff, then she doesn't give a shit. She has an ax to grind. So that's the piece about the assistant. And I think that that is um, probably... Uh, part of that is uh, of them mentioning that in the suit is again to make sure that if the other side attempts to use her as it relates to their defense, 
that they are already proactive in making the court aware that if this woman comes in the mix, she had not only does she hasn't have an axe to grind, but she was actually a part of the torture that and and you know just basically a part of everything that we are alleging that LaBeouf did to our client that she while not and I don't mean a part of it in terms of an active participant when he was doing it but in just the overall schemes that among the many things he did one of them was also to even potentially um, engage with someone who would go so far as to uh, perhaps uh, blackmail a former employer, et cetera. So good job on their part. Better to be proactive than swimming upstream if this woman comes in and starts saying this is a lie and that's a lie. So the last part before we get into the specific causes of action, and, and I'll, I'll explain that, uh, is her attorney makes it clear that she has nothing to gain professionally from this action. And she absolutely does. She is, when you are in this, the business that they are in, especially given that she is young, she's not a big, big star, certainly not in the U.S. She's making allegations against someone that people like and excuse, has have obviously excused his bullshit for years because he continues to work. Um, she, this definitely has the potential to hurt her in a diff in different ways, but to definitely hurt her career, uh, just like it could hurt his career in a different way. But this could literally be a silent, unspoken, of course, blackball for her. We don't need to even be bothered with this potentially unstable British chick with, you know, ambiguously racial looks that is, for all intents and purposes, a low-budget Zendaya without the style. I mean, no offense, but it is what it is. Um, it, it, young ladies like her come a dime a dozen. And why do they come a dime a dozen? Because that's what Hollywood looks for anyway. When someone is hot, like particularly like a Zendaya, what do they look for? Umpteen more Zendayas. I mean, that's that's just, you think right now, Billy, since Billie Eilish isn't so popular, every other record company that, you know, does not represent B Billie Eilish isn't looking for their own version of Billie Eilish. I mean, it, that's the way the game is played. And there's no love that has to be lost here. She wasn't a big star here anyway. Certainly not a big, big star doing what she, um, at least from my understanding, when she first came out, 
wants to be known for doing, which is music. Now, because she has the look and all of that, she has been able to do other things. But my first awareness of this young woman, which was quite some time ago, it certainly is not because of LaBeouf, it was uh, because of her being a musician, like a rapper or, or something like that. And, you know, because she had then she had the whole like look to go along with that. So anyway, that's that's where it, and, uh, so that I agree. She has absolutely nothing to gain professionally from this. And, and you know, other than uh, some women's groups and stuff, giving her props and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's standing up to whatever. But when all of the dust clears and it's time for her to get a job, let's see what really happens. Her attorney goes on to say she intends to donate a significant portion of any money she receives from LaBeouf to deserving nonprofits aimed at helping survivors of domestic abuse. More importantly, and this is important here and with what we're going to talk about in a little bit, women everywhere are now on notice that LaBeouf is not the tortured artist he portrays himself as. He is a destructive and dangerous man. The reality of it is that even without this suit, if you look at his history and just the few items that I mentioned, did we does that not describe somebody who is destructive and dangerous? Whether it's alcohol induced or not, the behavior is still destructive at best, dangerous at worst. And his is both. Now, the allegations, sexual battery. The sexual battery in this case that's being alleged is based on his conduct in transmitting a sexually transmitted disease to the plaintiff and that it was done without her consent and it constitutes sexual battery. Courts have long recognized that. Absolutely. So if they are able to prove that not only did she have the disease, that she got it from him, that he had it, especially if um, they are able to, to subpoena his medical records and show that he had it and had it before her and, you know, or, or years before they were together. And, um, you know, sometimes it does, even if he did have it, of course, there's like, well, I don't know who else she's sleeping with. She still could have got it from somebody else. And it just so happens that we both have it, but that doesn't mean I gave it to her. I get that. And that is definitely, I mean, when all else fails, like, and I was representing him, hell, I would say that too, but there are, um, a lot of this is also going to depend on what he does or doesn't admit because, again, there were some conversations about this issue and not to mention, once again, this question about him engaging in the same type of behavior with someone else. But of course, that goes to their willingness to come in. At any rate, you know, we'll see in the long run whether or not they prove it, but as a cause of action, great cause of action in terms of it being a viable one. It When the, his attorneys come in and try to, which they will, 
do a, a motion for summary judgment to get this whole thing shut down before it goes any further. That to me is definitely a very viable um, cause of action that uh, should go to a trier of fact. Because if she has a sexually transmitted disease, because she's admitting that she has it, then there's no reason not to take that to a trier of fact. Um, battery. I think that goes right along with the sexual battery. I think that's just a catch-all. You also have, um, because it says she didn't consent to harmful contact with her person. And so you not only have the disease issue, but you have the allegations of the, um, of the physical acts against her. And these things didn't happen 50, 11 years ago. It is 2020. These things allegedly happened in 2018, 2019. So even if they just allege the things that happened in 2019, I can't, I can't think of a jurisdiction anywhere where an assault wouldn't still be within the statute of limitations, even in the jurisdiction with the lowest level of um, of these types of things, it would still be at least two years. And I'm not even talking about on the criminal side, on even on the civil side, at least two years for most civil cases. And so they are good with that. And then, of course, if they were on the criminal side, at least two years, and depending on the seriousness of the assault, possibly even five. Intentional infliction of emotional distress, uh, the conduct that is alleged was at all times extreme and outrageous carried out with an intention to cause her emotional, cause her emotional distress and or, and that's important because he'll say, of course, I didn't mean to cause her emotional problems. And that's why that and or, 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 or is really important with reckless disregard of the probability of causing emotional distress to the plaintiff. Would a reasonable person looking at these actions uh, realize that they or know or have reason to know, and these are the standards the court looks at, would they know or have reason to know that these types of actions, yelling, berating a person, hitting them, all of these things could lead to emotional distress. And so when you talk about recklessness and that reckless disregard, that is a great catch-all when a person says, well, you can't prove that I intended to actually distress her. Okay, well, then you engaged in behavior that a reasonable person would know or should know could cause that. And so that... And, and of course, her saying as that she has suffered those things, she'll have the psychological records and all of those things, not to mention her own words as she's describing it. And of course, a great catch-all for everything, gross negligence at all times relevant. He had a duty to act with ordinary care. He breached his duties to plaintiffs by failing to exercise ordinary care and due diligence with his acts towards the plaintiff. LaBeouf's conduct constituted a want of even scant care, an extreme departure from the ordinary standard of conduct. And of course, the court is going to talk about what is an ordinary standard of conduct. 
well, there'll, there'll be like all kinds of legalese, but I think ultimately we know that if the court accepts that he participated in the types of behavior involved, whether we're talking about the assaultive behavior or even the transmitting of the sexual disease. Again, taken that the court, whether by judge or by jury, um, agrees that these things more likely than not did happen, then I, I think gross negligence is fine. I don't think that, it, I think that if the court fines under all the other stuff, they won't bother with gross negligence because that's, you know, that's pretty much a catch-all that you just kind of throw in there. Um, I think that their causes of action related to the battery, the sexual battery, um, uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress is fine. But again, it's, 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 you know, it's the lawyering you put in your catch-all. And of course, asking for damages, compensatory, um, exemplary or punitive, which is like the punishment, uh, the cost of the suit and any other relief the court deems proper and a trial by jury, um, which again, I would ask for as well, because this is, you know, it's ugly. All right. So we've gone over the allegations in the complaint. And the last two things that we're going to do is the standard of proof. Who has, what is it and who has to meet it? And finally, while, why I think that this is a proper place for her to bring this suit. So we are going to get into that right after this. Right, so I am back for our final segment. Again, this is Just Jonda with Let's Be Honest, and we're digging deep into the Shia LaBeouf case. So the standard of proof and who has to meet it. Well, obviously she brought the case, so she has to, she's the one that has to prove her allegations. I mean, it's no flippity floppity a little bit, the way that they do, um, the way that we talked about it in the UK or even in libel case, this is very simple. You brought these allegations and it is on you to prove them, period. Now, that being said, the standard by which you have to prove them, for those of us of a certain age, is even those non-lawyers, you probably learned a lot more about this than you ever thought you would or even wanted to when everything went down with OJ. The standard of proof in civil cases is different than it is in criminal cases, which is why which is why I'm doing these last two cases, these I'm sorry, these last two sections together because um, I'm going to explain the standard of proof now, but it's also going to come into play again when I talk about why I, I think it makes sense for the case to be brought here instead of in criminal court. Not that it couldn't be brought in criminal court, but I still think both. Uh, if you're going to do both, then fine. But if you're going to do one or the other for this particular situation, this is where it needed to be. 
The standard of proof is not only different, but it is lower. Guilt beyond a reasonable doubt is just that. That is why a jury has to be unanimous. So like we say as, as attorneys, if push comes to shove, especially in, if you've got a tough case, you only have to convince one person. And even better, if you can kind of figure out sort of the characteristics of who that person might be that would be more amenable to being able to be convinced to go your way and have them and make sure during voir dire that you have at least one, if not several individuals who meet the characteristics of the type of juror you would hope for um, to be that one. And even better if it's, it's two. So you got somebody having that person's back with standing up to an entire room full of people who already have their pitchforks out. Um, but the bottom line is it, that's a very high standard. And there's a reason for that, obviously, because you are taking away somebody's freedom. When you are in civil court, at worst, they've got some civil penalties like taking away some type of license that, you know, let's say if like myself, they're a lawyer or if they're a doctor, um, if it involves, you know, a lot of different things, you know, taking away a license or an ability to do certain types of activities and of, and of course the obvious one, money. And, um, and of course, require the requiring them to do certain things i mean because you can still require people to do community service and blah 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 but ultimately even as difficult as people may feel those penalties are especially when you know it's like a big money judgment you don't have it as bad as that may seem or, or i won't say seem it is as bad as that may be it is still not the same as someone being deprived of their freedom for any amount of time. So, um, and, and that's just the reality of what it is. The standard of proof uh, here, the civil case is preponderance of the evidence. And I guess the best way to explain that without going into some long explanation is that it's it more likely happened than didn't. Like if you just feel 51, 52% sure versus 48 or 49, then you rule in favor of the plaintiff. Now, if you are just barely at that point where you're like, I know that he did it, but I still am not ready to go all the way down the road and say that this it's the worst thing that could happen or they are like just blah, blah, blah. you know it's it's not like they killed somebody you know people always make their own um you know you you have your own standards of what is important to you or what is serious or or hurtful of or whatever to you um, and, and, you know, these are regular human beings like you or I, cause it is you and I, um, who sit on juries. If you, depending on where you live, if you are a licensed, 
uh, if you have a driver's license and or you are registered to vote. And, and I think there might be one other thing that some every not every jurisdictions uh, it's not a universal um, uh, what's the universal criteria for uh, how you get picked for juries and then there's some people that just based on their professions uh, somehow manage to never get jury duty and even if they get called for it you're the first person that they get rid of me being an attorney, especially uh, a criminal uh, defense attorney. I'm one of those people. I have not been called for jury duty probably since I was in law school. And even being, uh, even being in law school, they were like, uh, hell no. So, <laughs> um, but at any rate, so the standard of proof is much lower. And of course that makes a difference. Okay, so we don't have to go that deep into that. You all already know that. And so you're and so you probably already know why that is going to make a difference um when I talk about why this is the best place to bring the case. So, for this situation, and again, I'm talking about these two people, Shia LaBeouf, Talia Barnett, I think that this is the best place considering uh, who the parties are. Celebrities, in, in the case of celebrities, and you all have heard the phrase and, and we know it, usually all publicity is good publicity. But this is one of those rare exceptions where it's not. Stars live and die on their reputation. And for some, depending on when incidents happen, it's uh, not quite as big of a deal as it could be or would be, uh, you know, maybe if they were younger. Like, let's take Mel Gibson. When people knew that Mel Gibson was, you know, a drunk, I'm sure it was no secret that he was a racist. And, you know, but he made a lot of money, made good movies, all of that, Mad Max, Braveheart, all that. You know, we, we've been there. We bought the tickets. But by the time it got to the point where it was unable to be hidden, why? Because, of course, it was caught on video. You're, you remember sugar tits and all of that, the anti-Semitic remarks, that whole thing. At that point, Hollywood had already made their money, and so did he. He didn't give a shit. He had already been doing what he wanted for years. And also, and again, at that point, he definitely wasn't a young matinee idol. He had, he had won a couple of Oscars. He was good. He's, is, he uh, may have been able to get richer, but hell, he's so rich that he's still good. His, so arguably, his best days, certainly as a matinee idol, and maybe even as a director because he's a drunk, we're behind him anyway. Now, will it affect his overall legacy? Sure. If Mel Gibson died tomorrow, would he get the same fanfare, and I'm talking about positive fanfare, as some of our other beloveds who have died in recent years or even recently? No. 
He absolutely won't. So will it affect his legacy? Potentially. Um, or his legacy as a person, yes. Um, how people, their level of comfort with coming out and um, with the glowing eulogies, yes. Especially because there's no story that's going to be written about him ever again that is not going to draw attention to uh, his issues. And it's going to also reference uh, the fact that he comes from a legacy of anti-Semitism as it relates to his father. So there is, so legacy wise, okay. But as far, but at the same time, he still did the damn thing as it relates to his movies and nobody's going to stop going to see them or not necessarily going to see them, but stop watching them. Nobody's going to throw away their Lethal Weapon DVDs. People who like Braveheart are still going to like Braveheart. People who are still feeling particularly nostalgic are still going to watch Mad Max. But Escape from New York, all of that. And he's still paid and he's still doing well. However, Shia LaBeouf is not Mel Gibson. Why? Because Shia LaBeouf isn't like 60, 70 years old. He is still young. He is still very much in the um, matinee idol heyday, wannabe leading man days of his career. He still wants to be able to make Transformers 28. He has not quite reached Will Smith status. Hell, he hasn't even reached Dwayne The Rock Johnson status in terms of his paycheck. But he did a couple of movies that made it seem like he was on his way. I mean, he's no Leonardo DiCaprio. And nobody was ever going to expect him to be. But where he is, this hurts. And right now, especially, there are some things you can't be publicly accused of. And if there are any, if there is any truth to the allegations, you are sunk. And if you have any confusion about that, then go ask Johnny Depp about it. Because he lost a case that wasn't even in the United States with a totally different way of having to uh, of the case having to be proved and it is still affecting him because his next project was literally yanked and he is a critical character they're going to have to replace him and there is going to be a different human being playing a character that he has already played this is not the time for this and again johnny depp is in his late 50s. Mid to late 50s, I think. So again, there's some things you can't be accused of doing. And right now, there is at least some measure of notice that treating women as less than is wrong. Although, even though this is not necessarily in the workplace, but again, it still just brings up 
the same kind of stuff because it's still a man woman power dynamic which is still which factors very much into me too even though this is a domestic situation there is still that power dynamic even if a large portion of the male movers and shakers in hollywood don't believe one ounce and we know they don't one ounce of the politically correct jargon that they've been taught in sensitivity classes or just scared into adopting as rules of engagement in the workplace via the Me Too movement, they still know that when facing the public, half of whom are women and minorities, they have to talk the talk and at least operate as if they're walking the walk. That means once your homeboy shit gets out, you got to drop him like your 80s coke habit. Y'all can still hang behind closed doors, but nobody can know about it. And it's no longer cool to be known as the one who brings them to the parties. That's just, that's just where it is. Nobody, like your 80s Coke, needs to be known for bringing Shia LaBeouf to the party, to the boardroom, to the reading, or even to a conversation about who's going to play in the next iteration of a movie that he probably already did. Because you know Hollywood loves the sequels. Heaven forbid somebody comes up with a new idea. So again, this is a great venue to bring this because the standard of proof is lower. So when you have allegations that were not reported at the time, where you're just going to have to rely on the credibility of the victim and potential witnesses, some proof that the other side will say is fake and doctors, doctored like photos that weren't released or authenticated contemporaneous, contemporaneously with the event, or even patterns of behavior, like if the court overrules the inevitable objections. A standard of proof that is basically 5149 versus guilty of beyond a reasonable doubt is where you want to be. It may not get him jail time, but given what's important to this person by virtue of the fact that they are a celebrity, loss of money in the bank their reputation and future earnings, and just the cachet that came along with being this person is worse than a couple of months or even a couple of years in jail. Living and breathing every day in a world where nobody cares about you in the way that means the most to you is huge at least if you're in jail you don't have to cope with that part of your downfall until you get out and when you get out it's basically all over you got to rebuild your life and nobody's looking for you anyway but not going to jail means that you are going to live your descent and becoming oj simpson live and in living color your descent into People saying nothing good about you except other people who people think are assholes. That 
people who behind closed doors are telling you that they support you, but they're never going to actually say that in front of anybody. People who are saying that's fucked up what happened to you, man, but they're not going to say it to the people that count. That is huge. That's the type of crap that literally drives people insane. Far worse than going to jail. Especially if you are a celebrity. And not one of those celebrities who's famous just for being famous, but you're a working celebrity in terms of actually needing other people to engage with you, i.e. hire you, in order to sustain your fame. You're not a Kardashian. You're just some random, average dude who got hit with the lucky stick. You're not Brad Pitt handsome, not Leo handsome. You are Zach Braff handsome with a slightly rounder face, maybe a little less nerdy. I mean, I, I mean, you're, you're more attractive than a Zach Braff, but you're not super hot. I mean, maybe you started out where people kind of put you in the sort of hot category, but you're sort of cute-ish Tobey Maguire kind of hot. I mean, you're you're not even Zach from Saved by the Bell attracted. Damn sure ain't Slater. I mean, hell, Mario Lopez is fine any day always. But you're not Screech either. So you basically got hit with the lucky stick. Because there's nothing like really extraordinary about about you as an actor. Like somebody like Leo. We saw how extraordinary he was by the time he was in his mid-teens. Basketball Diaries, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Extraordinary. Was that Leo? I think it was Leo, but definitely Basketball Diaries was him. Um, it was understood from day one that he was going to be a winner. And, and I'm talking about in, in the Hollywood game. Same thing with, um, gosh, why is his name? Robert Downey Jr. For, I mean, even from the early days, it was understood, which is probably why Hollywood was so forgiving after he more or less squandered what should have been some stellar years after Chaplin because of, you know, his, his demons in terms of alcohol and drug abuse. You're not that guy. And also his alcohol and drug abuse seemed, at least from my research and just living through that time, did not also include uh, this type of stuff. You picked the wrong time, buddy, to uh, decide that your descent into this level of ignorance, if if these allegations are true, was going to also involve 
um, the abuse of women. Just hell, bad timing. I don't know. Maybe in the Roman Polanski days. I I, I don't know. Um, hell, you may have even gotten away with it in the nineties, but <laughs> but right about now, it's it's not working for you, bro. So that is my breakdown on this. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I know that this was a bit of a long one. So I hope you just gave it two sittings and that you enjoyed it. I am going to post it as one episode and then I'm also going to break it into two as well, just uh, a part one and part two. So uh, just to help those who may not... Um, want to listen to it all in one sitting because I know it's a lot but it's a really interesting case with a lot of nuance um as well and I just hope you enjoyed me taking you through it in our let's be honest kind of way and and getting some actual expertise along the way as opposed to all of those other folks out there who are going to be talking about it and I'm sure it'll be interesting but still not bringing you bringing it to you the just John way which is giving you the real and some real facts so um thank you very much for hanging with me and listening to the show and those of you the new subscribers thank you so much and those who contributed to us uh with the thousand now well over a thousand downloads on podbean and then including our other um our other networks thank you so much and as always you can listen to me wherever you listen to your podcast please continue to engage with me on twitter and uh instagram which you can do at let's be honest jj and that is l-e-t-s-b-e-h-o-n-e-s-t-j-j for just jonda on twitter and instagram when i post you can post there or you can dm me tell me what you think what you want to talk about if you have apple make sure you go to itunes and give the show five stars if you're hanging with me i hope that means you like it and of course, you'll see the link for the fashion and drama diaries where we get into lots of stuff every day. They are not getting any of what I just gave you on this case. I am literally just posting the link there. And if they want to know, they've got to listen because it's a lot to dissect. Um, other than that, as always, if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, you know that I am probably thinking about it and want to talk about it with you. This has been a special edition, which is why we are using the news music. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I will talk to you again very, very soon. We've got some interesting shows coming up. Keep listening out. I will be doing the weekly wrap-up of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I believe this is season one, episode five. And starting on Sunday, uh, December 13th, you will also get live shows of my reactions. And, you know, me live is going to be a hot mess. Your, my live shows to my reaction of the Real Housewives of Potomac reunions. I did not recap the show. I didn't think it was really necessary. I only uh, do the reunions for that one. So that should be a lot of fun. You either catch me live or you'll hear the replay when I post it. 
Have a great one. Good night.